mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 136 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio-Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck, and I'm very happy to be coming into your headphones, to your car systems, maybe to your kitchen, whatever you're doing in this crazy world of ours right now. Many people in quarantine, many people isolating. I know for me, podcasts have been such a big part of keeping some noise running in the background, and uh, I think I think a lot of people are getting turned on to podcasts at the moment if they're not already avid listeners. So if you are a new listener, then thank you for joining me, and boy, do we have a special episode for you. This was such a great time for me to talk to Roger Clark, best known as Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption 2. Definitely one of the best and most memorable video game experience of recent years, possibly ever. Uh, This story in Red Dead Redemption 2, the redemption of Arthur Morgan, if you've played the game, I'm sure you'll agree. It's just brilliant, and Roger really just brings that to life in that character. You may have been like me. I was completely surprised. I was completely blown away by this performance and how Roger just seemingly came out of nowhere. I'd never heard of this guy. He's so talented, but he's fairly new to the video game voice acting world. So it was really good to talk to him here and just learn the steps that he'd taken to get there. The Rockstar audition, that whole process of recording motion capture and voice acting for this role. Being part of a game that was so secretive for so long and then so huge. It sold 29 or it shipped 29 million units and it's changed his life forever. So getting an opportunity to kind of go through that with Roger was really fascinating and I think that you will find that as well. There are of course super spoilers for Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2. We talked about both games in quite a bit of detail so you have been warned but trust me this is a great one you're gonna love it. Here is Roger Clark. Enjoy the show. Thank you for coming on the show, Roger. How's things? Oh, not bad, not bad. You know, trying to keep my hands clean. Thanks for having me. Literally, hey. Yeah, there's nothing. This is this is unrivaled. This has never happened in my life before. I've, this is unprecedented. Mm. It's kind of crazy. And we were just talking about my kids now. They've gotten closed off for school. I'm going. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Got to keep them occupied or stop them from trying to kill each other. You know. Yeah, it's uh, a, a tough gig being a parent when sickness is involved because you're inevitably going to get sick yourself. Yeah. Well, so far so good. You know, we're in a, as from, from what I gather, an area relatively unaffected, but a lot of people mm. are now saying that's just because we don't have the tests available. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. The good news is that you can work from home. Yeah. As an actor, right? Yeah, I got that's yeah, I got the studio in the basement, so I'm in a lot lot luckier position than a lot of other people. Mm. Some people pay Living paycheck to paycheck, I feel for them, man. This is, can't be easy. Sure. And uh, who knows, maybe getting a bit sick might help the voice a little, might might actually add some depth to the character. <laughs> yeah, the whole pack-a-day vibe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the whole tuberculosis thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I still, you know, people still think that. I mean, I guess it is funny if it's the first time for you now, but I, I think I've been getting it for about 18 months and... Uh, yeah, it's 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 amusing how they how how amusing other people still. I think I've gotten past the joke a bit now. <laughs> What's the joke? What do people say? Oh no, just the comments on social media saying, you know, oh, better watch the TB. You know, don't want to oh, yeah. don't want to catch that TB. And it, and it's funny. Don't cough on me. It's yeah, don't you know, It's funny, but you know, it's just it is almost every other comment. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's worse things people could say to you i guess oh god yeah yeah and there is trust me yeah (laughs) all right let's get stuck into it so i want to dig back into your past roger tell me how you got started in acting was this something that you always wanted to do or something you came to a bit later because for most people the you know the roger clark story starts with red dead redemption 2 but unbeknownst to, to most it's probably been going on for quite a long time yeah you know i worked worked for decades to become an overnight success i guess you could say <laughs> but i started off you know doing amateur dramatics when i was a child much like you know most of us have and it was something that i always enjoyed but uh 
never never really had the courage to want to pursue as a as a full blown career right until I started college and then I was like in my first year of doing a, an H and D in computer studies and suddenly realizing that I was useless at it and I thought you know you only get one shot at life so it's best to just bite the bullet and try and do what you love and so I mm. I struggled I str- I've been this, I've been a professional actor for twenty years now I remember my first job and it was just after the millennium. And, uh, you know, I struggled for like probably the first 14 or 15 years. I, uh, I wasn't able to make a living solely from acting most of the time. You know, I was bartending. I was doing all this stuff, mm. chicken factories. I was uh, a standardized patient, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's, there was a Seinfeld no. episode about it. Basically, you, you, oh, wait, you the, pretend to the be sick. Sick actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pretend to be sick to help out the med students, you know, and you've got a script of your symptoms and whatnot. And it's like, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like Im- I was the Crohn's disease guy. Did you get any TB practice in there? The no, no, not a lot of TB. Because I guess, you know, right. it's they've kind of they've kind of wrapped it up now, you know. Yes, true. I think You're there's only a, point there. a small part of Nigeria that still <laughs> suffers from it. Yeah. No, I was Crohn's disease. Okay. <laughs> You're a worldly man. I'm looking at uh, some background on you, and it says that you're born in New Jersey, raised in Ireland, trained in the UK. Yeah. So uh, at this point, are you talking this was happening in Europe, or whereabouts did this go down? Uh, I went to university in Wales, just outside of Cardiff, at the University of Glamorgan, which is now merged and is part of the University of South Wales. And uh, when I graduated, I uh, I stayed in Britain. I, I worked maybe the first year out of Cardiff, and then I eventually migrated to London, as so many actors do, and uh, basically doing theater and voiceover predominantly. That was really the main bread and butter of my acting career. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a lot of touring. We we did. I used to work for. It was an American producer and a British uh, director, and they worked out of Munich, and it was called the American Drama Group Europe. We toured all over the world doing a lot of the American and English classics as well as a lot of Shakespeare. Okay. So I learned a lot uh, working for them, which I did off and on for about nine years. And, you know, I had my first taste of performance capture when I was still in the UK. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was that? It was uh, for a game called Shell Shock 2. I think the studios were EDOS was one of the studios. And uh, cool. that was somewhere in the home counties. It was somewhere west of London. Uh, it's a really cool studio. Rebellion, I think, was another another studio part of it. So that was my first dab into performance capture. And that was, I lo- it was mind-blowing. It's like, here, there's this, this brand new medium that we can tell stories in. Yeah. And uh, in, still, it's in, in, its, in, in its infancy, you know? Uh, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would have gotten to know it better the way that I did. Yeah, and you probably spent a, a good chunk of the last few years in those suits, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. The the guys at Rockstar, you know, such an amazing crowd, uh, all of them. And uh, I think one of them said that they... I was the most mo-capped person that the studio had ever seen. Like I beat, wow. I beat Og, Stephen Og, in like my first yeah. twelve or thirteen <laughs> months. You know. Uh, yeah. Well, he had to share the game with with two other exactly, protagonists. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's just the the attention to detail and the passion of the Rockstar Studio. I mean, we just, we just did so much. We did so so mm. much. It was a lot of work, and it was a it was a yeah. joy. All of it, every second of it. I learned so much. I getting to see the medium of performance capture just become more and more advanced in front of my very eyes. Uh, it was a real privilege to be able to witness that. You know, mm. we'll get very much into the weeds on all that very shortly. But I, I'm curious with your experience leading up to, I guess, the big break. How much did your training uh, influence the actor that you are now? How much did uh, kind of the theater influence it? And even just your experiences having to hunt, kind of hustle, work in bars, work in a chicken factory or a chicken farm, whatever it is. Like, yeah. do you feel like the, the, the combination of all these things is... Like, like, can you look back and see how they've each had their own unique influences? Of course, yeah. I mean, they can't help but mold, you know, the way you approach your career. You know, I, I can definitely say that, you know, having done theater in so many different countries that I, you know, I really learned a lot. I learned about audiences. I learned about what works and what doesn't work and timing. And, 
And I also learned to appreciate that different cultures appreciate different aspects of a story or a narrative. And, uh, and you know, you learn to... One of the things on stage is you learn it's kind of becomes a symbiotic relationship because they're right there in front of you and you can learn in real time what does and doesn't land. And you start to listen to them just as much as they're listening to you. So I kind of learned how to do that. And that, believe it or not, in a weird way, that kind of helped when I went on and did a little bit more film and, and mocap mm -hmm. work because I was, although I didn't have the audience in front of me anymore, I was able to recall on you know, certain aspects that you know, that I remembered being successful in the past, you know, and, and of course the, sure. the crew and, and the, the crew and the animators were there too to help out, you know. The, their contribution to my performance is invaluable, you know. Okay. I remember it was shortly before I started working for Rockstar where I was actually able to start working exclusively as an actor, and I remember at the time how grateful I was and because my first son had been born by then too, and I thought, how how am I going to provide? You know, how am I going to be able to pay the bills? But I don't know. Somehow it just happens. And, uh, <laughs> and so I remember when I started working for Rockstar, I remember being particularly grateful, which I still am, obviously. But uh, you know, it was a lot fresher in my mind then that I just finally I was able to put those comfortable, uncomfortable catering shoes away into the closet and know yeah. that <laughs> I might not have to. So I learned to be very uh, I learned to be very grateful as well. You know, the joy, yeah. the joy is in the work. It always, always will be. It really is. You know, the, the appreciation that people have from Red Dead, from the work of my colleagues and I, that's gravy and it's absolutely amazing. But, uh, you know, the, like with any actor, the joy is really in the doing. Hmm. Now you never have to wear a button up shirt again, unless someone's giving you an award. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your audition to get into Red Dead, but I guess leading up to it, we could set the scene with your experience with video games. You mentioned working on Shellshock 2 Blood yeah. Trails, and I know from following you on Twitter that you're a big fan of like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and I guess Rockstar's previous work, yeah, among other games. So were you a gamer or were you like, a, like casually dipping your toe into the pool of games? I was a huge gamer up until I graduated college, and then mm -hmm. um, then there's quite a bit of a gap. You know, I didn't really sure. do anything because I didn't have the time. Up until like maybe 2012, then I started it up again. So for like for 10 years there, from like 02 to 12, I didn't, I I lost touch. But sure. you know, late 90s, oh no, even from childhood, like uh, the Atari 600 and then up to the, the Nintendo, the SNES, then the PS1, PS2. I went I went Xbox for that, the third generation, and then uh, now I've got a PS4 now. And uh, Nice, nice. Yeah, but my I think my, <laughs> my golden age of gaming, I think, would be from probably 85 to like the 2000. Okay. That's my, cool. those are the most influential games for me. But, uh, but then again, you know, when I took it up again, I, I fell in love with Skyrim and the first Red Dead, uh, Red Dead Redemption. I mean, I'm not Red Dead Revolver. Sure. And, uh, I just, you know, the, the way Sandbox had just evolved since the last time I was mm. playing it, which was San Andreas, Vice City, you know, G I, I dabbled a bit, a little bit in GTA four, but didn't really, I uh, didn't have the time to get into it as much. So the way that it had launched in that decade, the way that it advanced mm. was just blew my mind. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it when like old gamers come back to the, the medium years later and yeah. all the, the things that they couldn't have dreamed of happening when right, that... they were playing, you know, Mega Man and The Legend of Zelda. It's now this thing that it, we know very well. And not only that, but also to see that the, the narratives have matured along with the audience mm. too, you know? I mean, there are games now for middle-aged people, you know? They're me, you know? And, and <laughs> that would have been unheard of in the 80s, you know? That wouldn't have sold. Nobody would have, literally no one would have bought it. Now, they're probably some of the biggest selling games in the industry. And that the fact that we're now catering to an audience of so many different genders and mm. ages and cultures and yeah, it's it's just yeah. fascinating. There's that many games now where the theme is like, essentially, you're looking after a child or you're caring for a child. <laughs> yeah. You know, God of War, even like The Last of Us, and there was a Japanese game where you had to t you were basically a tutor and you just taught a girl. Okay, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but yeah, it doesn't surprise and me. And you could manipulate the camera angle if you wanted to. So you could go under the table and look up her skirt. Oh, of course. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, or so I'm told. I didn't play that one. <laughs> I didn't play it either. Oh. <laughs> so Red Dead comes out, or Red Dead Redemption, I should say. And were you playing that thinking like, man, I would have loved to be in this game. I could do this. I played it uh, and I loved it. I didn't even enter my thought to have right. to have performed in it. I um, you didn't think who's this Rob guy? Who's uh, this Whitoff? Yeah, yeah. I probably would have pronounced it wrong too. Um, <laughs> Whitoff, or, or some people. A lot of people say Whitoff. Poor guy. What, is it? What is it? It's Whitoff. It's Whitoff. Rob Whitoff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's such a. I got it right. Such you did. Such a gentleman. <laughs> um, yeah, I never. When I the first time I played Red Dead Redemption, like I said earlier, it, was, it had been me returning to to gaming, and I was just blown away by the sheer scope and size of it. And it was one of the few games my wife didn't mind me playing either, because she enjoyed watching it, you know. And mm. that and Skyrim with the horseback through the beautiful vistas and the scenery, and and then once I'd start shooting, she'd ask to turn it down. But, <laughs> but no, I I yes. I didn't. Not in my wildest dreams, but it was so weird because my my audition for Red Dead Two was literally a few months after I had completed it. Oh wow! So it's just the way it happened. What year is this? Uh, this would have been around to around December, January two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. Right, it would have been my first audition. I think it was late two thousand twelve was the first time I auditioned. Sure. Did you know that it was Red Dead Redemption 2 or was it like unnamed project, yeah. cowboy project? Yeah, it was yeah. an unnamed project. Yeah, totally. Um, I had no idea. I knew it was for take two, but I didn't necessarily know it was Rockstar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was weird too because like you, had, it, you, didn't, you couldn't get the sides in advance. I, th- I guess they wanted to see how, how well you were at cold reading. Uh, so I showed up and, uh, you know, I, I knew it was a video game. So I remembered my previous experience doing mocap before. And I had done VO on other ones, too. Don't ask me which ones. I, I forget. But um, <laughs> I, I was excited because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this with the balls and all that. This would be fun. Mm-hmm. So I got in and I chatted with them. And it was a scene. It wasn't scripted as a Western as such. But they did ask for a, a kind of a Midwestern or Texan accent. Sure. And it was basically this guy walking into a bar, talking to the bartender whom he already knows. And, uh, you know, they're just shooting the shit. And he's mentioning his daughter's coming to visit and how much he's looking forward to that. And then at the end of it, I just say, well, I got to kill you now because somebody put a price on your head. So, you know, do you want it out here? Do you want it here or should we do it out in the back? You know, Uh, (laughs) save your daughter walking in and see it. I was pretty cold, but the way that I did it, they, anyway, I, I did it and then, you know, it was over and, they did ask me to walk around the room a bit too, just doing in-game walks and turning ninety degrees on the spot, etc., and strafing the right. wall, etc. And then, as you, you always do, when it was finished, you walk out and you f- just forget about it because you have to forget about it. Ninety-seven percent of the time, you're never going to hear from them again. Uh, but then my agent called me, and I was doing theater down in Florida, and she said, "You remember that video game?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she says, "They want you, but..." You're down in Florida, aren't you? And I went, yeah. Went, okay, I'll tell him you're unavailable. So then I thought that was that, you know. And But then when I got back, they checked again. And that's that's when I met the director, Rod Edge. And that's when I went to, that's when I found out it was Rockstar Games because I met them in their, at their downtown office in New York. And uh, they that's when they wanted to watch me walk for ages. I probably, right. I, <laughs> who, who would have thought that walking was such a big part of yeah. getting cast in such a big video game? But that's like 75% of what the player is yes. going to be watching. Like. <laughs> and then they told me to wear cowboy boots. And so that was when I first started getting suspicious that it might have been a sequel to, to Red Dead Redemption. Mm. But, uh, okay. you know, and then that that's when I started to get a little nervous because like, I already obviously knew how John Marston's story had ended, and mm-hmm. um, and I know they had me in mind for a reasonably big role in this, and I was like, how can I compare to that guy? Because that he was an iconic character, you know, he was yeah. so so likable and textured and just cool, you know. He's on a path. He's got to save his family. It's such a fantastic Western story. And especially the way it ended. I'll never forget. I, Like so many people, I thought I must have done something wrong. I go back to the, <laughs> my previous save, trying to do it yeah. differently. and yeah, Unbelievable, really. Yeah. 
Okay, so that must have been quite a process. And I'm guessing by the time they said, you're the man, what was that moment like? Well, my first day in the volume working with them was in August of 2013. And I think the contract got offered like in the autumn of that year. So, uh, yeah, I was very excited. I knew it was going to be a, a big, big investment of time, big commitment. Um, mm. It turned out being longer than we thought, which is always the case, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was very excited, uh, I, and I just wanted to really get my teeth sunk into this whole performance capture thing. So I started studying, you know, Andy Serkis and uh, Ahmed Best, who did Jar Jar. Mm-hmm. I mean, he started, he kind of cinematically anyways. He's like yeah. one of the first. And, and then I just started playing loads of, I started catching up on a lot of the video games that I had lost out on in the last decade or so, and uh, especially Rockstar Games' studio and, I've played pretty much every Rockstar game, game, and I I love them all. They're all fantastic. There's not there, there's no no other studio is quite like them. It's got that same sense of humor mm, and for sure. yeah. Okay, so was there a moment within that time period that you realized that your career was never going to be the same, or your life was never going to be the same again, or did that really not happen until during the process? I mean, there must have been a point where that struck your conscious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember thinking. Because I around this point too, I I I I start getting to know Ned Luke, who was you know Michael and and GTA Five. So, mm-hmm. and then speaking with Rob too, and becoming friends with Rob, you know, he, obviously his perspective, you know, was able to shed some light on what I could probably expect. And I knew that it was probably going to be. I mean, I I didn't know anything, but I, I presumed that it, you know this could be a big deal. This could be mm. significant. And, but you know, with the NDA, I didn't. It didn't affect my life really uh, until yeah. until release. You know, obviously, I I was busy. I was working a lot. But uh, apart from that, you know, I've had friends who were like, honestly, Raj, tell me what are you doing? What is so secret <laughs> that like you can't tell me? And this job is what now four years long. It turned ended up being five. And it got to the point where some of them just thought I was lying. <laughs> you know, when they start saying, oh, Where's this money yeah, coming from? <laughs> how's that video game you're working on? I'm like, oh, it's fine. You know. But then when the <laughs> thing finally came out, they were like, holy shit. Of course. Okay. They were probably watching the Super Bowl and then they heard your voice at halftime or like in one of the ads or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, a lot of people still didn't know it was me. Right. <laughs> a lot of my that's, friends that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh man i think uh it's amazing what rockstar do casting these games because yourself and rob both relative unknowns in the voice acting or i guess the video game acting world yeah. as far as you know the consumer goes like there's obviously a lot of big names in there your troy bakers and your sure, nolan norths and sure. when it comes to performance capture it seems like people just go to these guys because they know they can do it you know whether it's kojima whether it's naughty dog whether it's whoever they just seem to go to like these five to ten to fifteen kind of guys yeah, yeah. but then rockstar is giving people I, th- I think rob especially had like no video game experience like he'd barely acted at all he uh he was in la you know and he, he had I, he was doing commercials and uh you know the odd the odd mm-hmm. bit here and there but uh yeah he'll yeah, that was his first major major contract and yeah you know yeah. this the casting of rockstar is so meticulous they really really put so much attention to detail and they're not scared to invest the time needed um and uh Obviously, they they do their homework and they make sh- and they think very long and hard before they make a decision. But I think they do prefer some of the un- more the lesser known mm. talent. You know, yeah, absolutely. I know that, for example, I mean, uh, our casting and producer Tony Greenwich, I, he went all over the country. He was uh, working for weeks out of a time, just auditioning people in New Mexico. They were going for the mm-hmm. most authentic actors that they could get to cast the roles that they needed, you know. And for they recorded out in New Mexico for ages to get all the native people down and to get that, you know, specific dialects and whatnot. They were down in the south getting all those dialects as much as they could because we record predominantly out of New York, you know. Mm. And that yeah. I, that's another reason, I guess, too, is that, you know, a lot of these better-known voice actors, they're out working out of L.A. and 
you know, Rockstar doing it out of New York, and they're really the only, as to my knowledge, they're the only one doing mocap out of New York, and they're all, mm. one of the only two or three that are that audi- uh, cast voiceover in out of New York too. So you know, they're kind of exposed to a different, a different huge palette of of actors. You know, that they don't have the LA people. Sure. So what was that process like? You've mentioned that it was four or five years. Yeah, five years to almost to the almost to the day actually. Was, mm. um, my first day was August of two thousand thirteen, and I finished. My last day was August of two thousand eighteen. Are you sitting there with like the full script or knowledge of how this story plays out, or is it this is the next scene, this is the next scene, kind of chronologically? We would typically be given our sides uh, a week in advance, uh-huh. you know, and um, that we all. They had a very, I think when they started out, they had a very loose skeletal structure of how they wanted the story to go. But, you know, mm-hmm. but they didn't commit themselves to a very specific uh, storyline because they knew that as the years went by, they might want to tweak certain things, cut some things. and So, you know, and also, of course, you know, they were listening and they were seeing what specific actors were bringing to the table with regards to their characters. And they the writers would take note of that and they would pay attention to the strengths and the weaknesses of that and you know that's it's so weird you know i did meet uh two of the writers early on for a couple of days but you know we didn't really see each other face to face much after that but i still felt that we were still working together because when i I would see the pages and i you know i would see little nuances that told me that they were definitely listening to what we were doing and you know, mm. if, there, if there was something that they liked, then you could re- see that reflected on the pages a few weeks afterwards because they would say, you know, we really like that, do that, do a bit more of that, you know. And it was funny. Can you give me an example of something that they liked that you did? Oh, well. Like the way that you pronounce a certain word or something? <laughs> well, you know, there was, I think when they started to see some of Arthur's dry wit, you know, and somehow it could mm-hmm. be quite sardonic in some ways, then I started to see more pages that allowed allowed me to display that uh one of the ones i remember is uh with uh, i don't know how well your listeners know the game but there's a side mission with davy boy calendar where you got to go after all these old gunslingers and kill them or yep. whatever and then at the end you, you davy boy was this old drunk who used to be all that and there's pig farmer yeah. or something by the end yeah yeah no that was the other that was oh, i forget that guy granger that was granger Davy okay. J- J- uh, uh, Calloway was the the drunk with the press dude. Oh, yes. He was the okay, one who, yeah, yeah. who you um, meet yeah. at the beginning. In the bar, yeah. Jim Boy. Yeah. Jim Boy Calloway, yeah. I think his name was. I just remember killing them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there was. I know that the, the Housers liked one of the things with Jim Boy. Uh, that was a wonderful actor, too. Working with that guy was very fun. Okay. No, that's that's curious because there's so much, like, just from talking to you now, like, I can hear so much of Arthur, well, naturally and obviously, in the way that you talk and stuff like that. And, yeah, just seeing, like, some of people's favorite quotes of Arthur online is just, sometimes it's just oh, the way that you've said the word lady or, like, something like that instead of an actual emotional or, or clever, witty writing it's just the delivery on a certain line oh thank you that's very kind you know you know it's funny too because i think if a lot of people think that what we did on red dead 2 was strictly just voice acting and it was us in a booth mm. you know and and you know some of it was i'd say maybe for me maybe like a, a little over 10 percent of it probably was done in a booth and okay. they still would have gotten my lips uh to sync you know but other than that mm-hmm. But uh, the majority of it was in a, you know, was in a studio, and I, there's all those little, little idiosyncratic things that so many of the fans seem to enjoy now. I don't think, I honestly don't think I would have been able to, you know, come up with that by myself in a booth. You know, it was, it was because I was in a scene with my with my colleagues, and we were acting mm-hmm. it out. You know, and uh, and that's another thing that theater was able to help me out in performance capture too. Was that I, it was massive suspension of disbelief because here we are, we're supposed to be in some nineteenth-century saloon, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, wearing the spurs and a gun belt, and you know, really all we're wearing is spandex with shiny balls on them, and all these, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all this just scaffolding, you know. So that's yeah. that. My theatrical background helped me to kind of forget about all that and just be in the moment with my with my mm. scene partners and I, I really some of the things that that a lot of people a lot 
love about the game and the little the performances i really don't think i would have been able to do by myself in a booth that's so cool and it makes me think like voice acting and performance capture they're both very unique yeah. challenges in their in their own ways like Absolutely. i'm thinking if i had to be if i was voice acting i have to speak as if i'm running around and riding a horse and punching someone in a bar yeah. without actually doing it and then if you're actually doing it then you're physically having to do something extra so they're both <laughs> i don't know which one would be more difficult maybe you can tell me they're both they're both vital now to the gaming industry uh but they're both completely different and um you know, mocap is if you're if you're recording audio, facial, and movement at the same time, it's really not that different from film. It really isn't. Um, yeah, and and it's getting more and more similar to film as the technology advances. Uh, you know, obviously there are differences, but uh, but it's really becoming more and more similar. Whereas you know, in the booth, it's all you. Uh, it's all you yeah. you know it's t two totally different skill sets sure now the game itself and the people who worked on it you can see the incredible amount of detail that they put in and like even i guess it's been very well publicized the amount of hours they put in so is there anything in the performance capture process that you noticed or that you were doing that you would consider going above and beyond what most studios would do when capturing motion well, I definitely think that Rockstar have a, a, a passionate dedication to detail. And, you know, they if it wasn't right, they they wouldn't leave it until it was. Um, you know, mm -hmm. thankfully, it's, it you know, this, they're one of the best in the business. And because of that, they they can afford to take more time than some other studios, I guess. Um, you know, I we we would work typically three weeks on and two weeks off. Uh, uh, three weeks on in the in the in the performance capture studio, and uh, those were typically maybe twelve to fourteen hour days, uh, and then you know with wow. with travel included, and then on the two weeks off, you might have a few days in the booth, uh, maybe two or three days in the booth, but you know that my schedule was, you know I'm protected by my union, so you know there's a certain amount mm. I can go over, and then if it's overtime, etc., you know so. Uh, I, a lot of people talk about crunch culture nowadays. All I can say is that mm -hmm. not one person I ever met at Rockstar Games didn't want to be there. Not one person wasn't happy to be there and thrilled to be a part of something like we were all working on. And you know, did they work hard? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, we were all very excited to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, I always thought with that whole controversy that yes, as much as people need to be protected and i'll probably get criticized for saying this but the people who worked on red dead redemption 2 they put in the work as the name of the podcast says but then they can pretty much do whatever they want in that industry now because they were part of a masterpiece their their names are in the credits of a game that made a billion dollars or whatever it is and it's an experience that as much as there may have been difficulties along the way i'm sure that it set them up, yeah. you know, and, and it's been a sacrifice and an investment in their future in, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, too. I mean, the first time I heard of that, you know, crunch culture being applied to Rockstar was because of a direct quote from Dan Hauser himself. And yeah. I know he, he was talking about himself. You know, he was saying, yeah. I'm the one who's putting 100 hour work week work, works in. You know, he, he wasn't speaking about that amongst his employees. I know he was talking mm. about himself when he so he was he was misquoted. The whole thing was started off on a on a misquote. You know, Dan Hauser, uh, you know, he, he was no longer there now. I think he left yesterday. Yes, uh, just recently. And end of an era, you know. Yeah, round of applause mm. to Dan Hauser. Thank you. Thank you. But he's <laughs> he's a, he's one of the founders, you know. So uh yeah. of course that's his baby. So of course he's going to be working hard at it, you know. And he's going to put more in and he's uh, more of himself in that he would expect uh, so, you know people under him to do. Mm. So Roger, as of last month, Red Dead Redemption 2 passed 29 million sales oh wow and i is mentioned it, is it 29 I mentioned, now i thought it was 26 yeah. wow wow yeah that's what i'm reading on the uh, ever reliable wikipedia so wow take that i'm sure it's sourced somewhere but uh yeah 29 million 
and I think that's second only to GTA Five, obviously. Yeah. And you know, more than a billion dollars. What's it like to, I guess, first of all, see that reaction from the release date, but now with the legacy being a couple of years almost of people enjoying this game and knowing that you've been a central part of that and part of people's lives forever now, <laughs> essentially. Um, uh, that's, you know, it's weird. I think sometimes that still hasn't quite hit me. I, mm. um, it's a privilege, obviously, you know, um, uh, it's an honor and some of the stories that I, people have, you know, been kind enough and brave enough to share with me about what the game means to them, um, you know, from all over the world, because, you know, as you rightly point out, 29 million is, it's not a small number. So the scope, no, it's quite large. The scope of, of the way our work has affected people all around the world has been something. And I see, I see grandfathers and grandsons, you know, bonding over the game, you know, a grandfather because of his love of Westerns and, and from the sixties and, and the grandson because of Red Dead and, you know, people who, who helped say that helped them get over their anxiety that uh, you know, mm. it helped them become more mentally healthy and, yeah, you know, going around to the conventions to be able to meet the fans and to see the effect that all of our work has had on so many is just, it really is mind blowing. And it is a privilege to be part of something like that. And I just, I'm grateful that I was able to do something that was appreciated by so many. Were you surprised by the immediate acclaim and success and the sales right out the gates back in October, I think, of, of 2018? Or did GTA Five prepare you for this kind of juggernaut? Well, I didn't know. I, did, I mean, I knew, you know, GTA is kind of the flagship of Rockstar and Red Dead would kind of be like the, you know, the right-hand man sort of thing. Mm. Um, so I didn't expect to for us to to kind of reach GTA 5 levels. I was hopeful that we would just, you know, do as well as the previous one. But I think we 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 kind of tied with Red Dead Redemption in the opening weekend for as far as copies mm. were concerned. So that that was a, I was just the mo the thing I just want I just wanted people to like Arthur at least as much as John Marston or at least not hate Arthur because he isn't John Marston. I think that's what I was aiming for. Let's not let's not have <laughs> another Jack Marston. No offense. Yes. <laughs> but let's let's just hopefully they won't hate me because I'm not John Marston. That's what I was aiming yeah. for. Okay. And it's, but it's, funnily enough, you know, people who played Red Dead Two and that was their first experience of Red Dead Two, they they were like, "Oh fuck, I gotta play John Marston now." And I was like, "That I that I, I couldn't believe it when I heard so many people say that." Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which is totally not what I think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, working with yeah, Rob it, Weedoff for five years. He's such an amazing guy. And you know, we shared a lot of the mocap for the side missions. Uh because, you okay. know, they could be completed by either or, you know, some of them. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, it was fun working side by side with him. You know, it was really, really he's such a gentleman. That's awesome. My next note that I had written down was Arthur versus John. So you've just led that open uh -huh. for me. <laughs> I, I want to know, like, you were obviously a big fan of Red Dead Redemption. You're obviously a big fan of Rob. How do you view Arthur and John as characters and kind of compare and contrast? Well, one of the things I admired most about the writing was that we see, we see, really see John's development. You know. Mm. No, no, everyone, no two characters are the same in either game. You know, they, they all, they all mature, they all change. And part of the thrill of playing Red Dead and the part of the thrill of it being a prequel is that we get to see where they, how they become the people that we already know them as from the first mm -hmm. Red Dead Redemption. And I thought they did that really well with Dutch. And I thought they did that really well with John Marston because, you know, at the beginning of Red Dead 2, we do see a very younger, kind of more irresponsible, kind of yeah. careless John Marston. And and, and then as the hours unfold, we start to realize that it's because of Arthur that we see that John Marston is the John Marston that we know in Red in the first Red Dead Redemption. He kind of teaches mm. John, well, what's what's important? He, 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 he tries to... He lays his life down basically to help him realize that his family is what you know the most important thing, and that's the lesson that he takes to his death, you know. And so the way that they did that was awesome. But I know a lot of people on Reddit like to entertain who would win in a fight. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, if we're yeah, if we're I don't know. if we're taking Arthur at his prime and Marston in his prime, I, I don't know. I, I think they'd be pretty equal. 
Although I think Arthur's a little bigger. I think he's got a bit more brawn. But yeah, it's hard hard to know because I think Arthur in this game is past his prime already. Like as far as his physical peak. Yeah, he's probably like late thirties, I guess. A lot of people yeah. put him around thirty six, yeah. thirty seven. I was thirty five yeah. when I started working on it, so I guess that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, yeah, sure. But who? So someone checked it out, and so apparently one of their dead eyes is is slower. Okay, like, like from Red Dead One, someone has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who obviously whoever has the slower dead eyes obviously got an advantage there, you know. But I don't know which one. I don't know which one that is. Arthur has more access to, he has access to more guns. That's true, and a, a bigger satchel, and two yes, and two yeah. sidearms. Let's not forget. Oh. Yeah, John Marston in, in Red Dead One. You know, he only had the one sidearm. So yeah, that's Absolutely. another huge advantage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Arthur can swim. To... Arthur can swim. Let's not ah forget. yes. Well, that's that's it. He can always <laughs> take the fight onto an island or something, and then yeah. John's in trouble. Yeah, come on, get me now. All right. <laughs> I think what you touched on before was really important. And I think like playing this game and the longer I played it, I realized this is a story about John. I know that we're playing as Arthur, but it's yeah telling us the story of John Marston through yeah. a different person's perspective. And it's when you realize that it's such a, a poignant part of of playing and the experience and then for the epilogue to take place that that like confirms like okay this was all a way for us to appreciate john in a new way absolutely or maybe even jack you could argue that it's a story about jack yeah because he's the only one he's the only one standing at the end of it but yeah Mm. you're, you're absolutely we see we see the whole we get to see this amazing world created by rockstar games through a different protagonist's eyes and then you know, but with the knowledge of the previous protagonist. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, this is really well done. I don't think... It's so unique, yeah. <laughs> like I was t- talking about earlier, the maturity of the way games have matured for their audience, you know, I think Red Dead is a really good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a game that my dad can sit there and watch me play and have questions and yeah. talk about the different kinds of guns and the different kinds of ammo they use and, like... Because it's engaging and it's it's so much more than what video games are to a lot of people that don't play them. And Rockstar are so cinematic in the way that they design games too. And the Western is no, mm. and the Red Dead is no exception to that, especially with the the, the genre of the Western, because you can tell that they lo- they're huge fanatics of the Western genre because they have all these little nods and references and the way it's beautifully done. It's it's it is. You can't get much more cinematic in gaming than no. Red Dead, I think, you know, because it is a Western yeah. game. It is a Western. Oh, I could talk about the music of this game for like 10 minutes. If, oh, yeah. If we had to. Like, it's Woody, so Jackson. <laughs> Woody Jackson. Woody wow, Jackson. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I finally got to meet Woody Jackson at the Game Awards. Oh. And uh, yeah. he was telling me how his son really loved Arthur. And I was, I just, I couldn't. I I didn't I wasn't able to process that because I was like it's friggin' <laughs> it's friggin' Woody Jackson. I think I I think I had finished the game by then. By the time the Game Awards came around, I think I completed the game. Uh, so obviously I was well immersed in his work, and I was just blown away by what he did. And obviously I, when I found out that it was him again, and because he had done a, he had done it on the first Red Dead Redemption and that iconic sequence when you go into Mexico for the first time and that yes, music, yes. that was just it's it's un. That's one of the most unique experiences in gaming, for me, anyway. And I know I'm not alone. Mm, yeah, I had those experiences in the sequel as well. Like those moments when you're doing the long rides back to camp. and Yeah. You know, that's that's the way it is. Like that last ride, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps. I've watched it. Like, I've pulled it up on YouTube and watched it a bunch of times. Yeah, and then when you, when you escape and you're back from Guama, too, and you got D'Angelo mm. playing after, yeah. Mm. Yes. This is like, yeah, this is really well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But going back to something you touched on before, this is a s- experience that I had, and I've, I'm sure I've read other people on the Reddits and everything. I'm on the, the Red Dead Redemption 2 Reddit. Um, but you play this game, John comes on screen, and you suddenly feel like, ah, oh, it's John. I wish I could play as John. I love John. 
you know, we have this affection for him built up through yeah. 30 hours or whatever it was from the first game. Yeah. But by the end, when, you know, spoilers, things change and Arthur suddenly is gone, it's like, Arthur's my friend. Like, yeah. I, I want to be Arthur. Like, give that to me. But it's it's too late. It, it, it adds to the... I know what, you know, Rockstar want that to be a sad moment and John feels that pain of, of losing his friend and the person that sacrificed something for him. And I think that the player goes through that too. So it's really masterfully done. Oh, yeah, thanks. I I think, you know, the fact that, you know, I, I in many ways I feel that the players, anyone who's played Red Dead 2, they have as much ownership over Arthur as I do because they are, you are Arthur. Anyone who plays the game is Arthur, and uh, mm. and anyone who plays the game is responsible f- in it for the majority of their behavior, and you know eventually that affects the way the world reacts to you, depending on your honor level and whatnot. Yeah. So, when Arthur does go, yeah, I, a lot of as a performer, as an actor, a lot of my work was done for me in that I, they became empathetic towards my character because they were my character. <laughs> So, but that, that, that made my job a lot easier. One of the things that made my job a little more challenging, though, was bearing in mind that they could play Arthur as a total bastard or as an honorable outlaw. Yes. Especially in the latter half of the narrative, I would have to, you know, a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the lines that I would get, I would have to do in an ambiguous way, as, as, as an ambiguous way as possible so that it would, it would fit. Either way, Go the either player, way, yeah. So, you know, whether he's a bastard or not, to be able to deliver that line in a way that still made it truthful to the player. Uh, so that was mm. kind of a challenge, but that that yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I I'm glad to hear that's the way a lot of people feel when you know when Arthur finally about you know leaves the game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that he he that's does become a is. companion, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think it works so well that. I've gone and played the game a second time. I haven't finished it a second time because, you know, other games come out. But yeah. uh, in the downtime between games, it's such a long experience. But coming back to that moment where the, the guy coughs on him and you think, no, that's the moment yeah. that's when it happens. The second playthrough is pretty harsh in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. Is you got this forethought. You got this foreknowledge. Yeah. But I was going to say, like, for you playing this game, I'm guessing, yeah, you, you've already said you finished the game yourself, but your first playthrough was a second playthrough because you'd lived it out already. So what was it like to actually do all this acting and then sit down and see what Rockstar had created and see how Arthur came out, Yeah, you know, from what you, you'd, all the work you'd done for so long? It was a bit like that. Although, funnily enough, uh, I... I I said to Rob, I said, don't tell me what happens in the epilogue. I want to have at least some surprises oh. when I play the game. So when the epilogue <laughs> came on, I actually didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So it took about 60 hours, but about 60 hours mm. in, I'm finally like, oh, okay, I don't actually know what's going to happen next. But, um, you know, it was the funny thing about when it finally released is that we finally got to see all the work of all the other departments and the way that everything just synergized and the way that they animated Arthur, you know, I had seen bits and bobs mm. before, but obviously nothing longer than a couple of minutes or whatever reference I needed to do the scene that we were working on at hand. Uh, so the game, when the game came out, was the first time I really got to look at the work. And usually I hate that, you know, I don't like to see recordings of myself or or listen to them <laughs> for that matter. But for some reason, Arthur, you know, the, he, he, he doesn't look exactly like me, you know, he's based on me. But uh, and there's a somewhat of resemblance, but he, 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 he's different enough so that I, it affords an objectivity and I was able to look at it differently and just kind of, in some cases, just enjoy the scene and obviously paid a lot of attention to the cutscenes because I wanted to see how the work turned out. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's weird because I see these scenes and it's funny watching Nolan North do his Uncharted playthroughs on Retro Replay. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, it was, so, it was really enjoyable watching that because you see him relive memories as, oh yeah, I remember what we did on set that day. And it's like, it's, it was, I, I could really identify because I felt the same way playing Red Dead 2. Mm. Did you uh, heckle the performers in Red Dead Redemption 2 in the sideshows? It was the most fun I had playing to just heckle them nonstop. I, I loved it. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when Mar- when I was with Mary, I did not heckle them because I didn't want to appear okay. like a dick. But then I <laughs> then I went back by myself and I totally heckled them. Yeah, 
Yeah. Woo! Fire the, lady! The, the, yeah. <laughs> the heckle lines were, were some of the funniest ones in the game. <laughs> yeah. A lot of his, a lot of those disrespectful lines. Well, some of his, his antagonizing lines in camp are pretty good too. I always thought. Uh, oh man, that's the thing. In my second playthrough, I just antagonize everyone because I, I know like that guy turns out to be terrible. This guy's evil, and I'm just like <laughs> Micah. Yeah. Like. I'm just going to antagonize the crap out of you because you're not a nice man. Yeah. And it's great to see, like, you do it enough. They actually, like, I think Bill comes up and, like, beats you in, the, in like, in the back of the head. And it's like, oh, they accounted for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they thought about everything. There's dialogue. <laughs> if you hogtie some, like, if you hogtie some NPCs and put them under the horse and you wait long enough for the horse to start shitting, they've got dialogue for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> so so not I mean not only did they yeah, not only the attention to detail but also uh you know being able to predict players behavior too and like mm. what would, if what yeah. would you do for shits and giggles <laughs> if you could? Oh yeah, let's let's see and then the fact that there's dialogue for that, you know, it just makes you go wow, your respect. <laughs> yeah. Do you have your own theory on uh, on Gavin and our oh. friend Gavin? <laughs> I have no idea, but I wouldn't be <laughs> One thing I know, Rockstar, they never fail to surprise me, though. So I wouldn't, maybe mm. one of these, maybe one of these patches, they'll just be a, fu- <laughs> or you know what, it'll just, or they'll just never, he'll just, he'll just be looking yeah. for Gavin forever. I could see either happening. Yeah, there's mysteries in other Rockstar games for sure. Mm, mm. There's one still not solved on five, right? Mount Chiliad, that Mount Chiliad thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we talked about this a bit earlier. How has life changed now that the game's over? People know who you are, obviously. There's awards. There's all these, you know, praise and acclaim. You've got uh, 29 million people, at least, who have... Well, that's how many of the games have shipped. But you've got, you know, a lot of people (laughs) know your voice and, and your work now. So... How has that changed life going ahead? Well, you know, it's changed and it's changed a lot. And in some ways I anticipated it and in other ways I didn't. You know, it's opened up a lot of opportunities for voiceover uh, and uh, and in specific, a lot of gaming opportunities. You know, some stuff I can talk about. I'm doing a game called Lunafon. Uh, I don't know when it's... Mm. They think it's going to come out end of this year, but I'm not sure. Cool. Uh, that's uh, for coming out from a Welsh studio. And that one is just voice acting. It's just me in a booth. And I'm, a, I'm a, an Irish rabbit in that one, so it'll be a bit of a departure from Arthur Morgan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we moved out of the New York City, and me and my family are now in the burbs, so that's that's probably the biggest change in my life right now. Um, and it's been a real joy to go around to the conventions, you know, and to meet some of the fans and to see, like I was saying earlier, the effect that our work has had on a lot of yeah. people. And, you know, I, it's it's definitely, it's definitely been life-changing, absolutely. And, you know, but... Uh, I, I just, you know, it's, it's been a, almost a year and a half now. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to future challenges now too, just as much. So what, what is the, like, goal? Is there, like, a franchise you'd love to be involved with? Do you want to keep working with Rockstar? Do you want to be in, you know, the next, you know, Naughty Dog game? Do you, do you have a bucket list in acting now that you have opportunities that weren't there before? I would love to. I just look forward to more challenging work, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. Naughty Dog is an excellent studio. Absolutely. I wouldn't say no. One iota. Same thing with Santa Monica. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many strong studios out there producing excellent work that I would love to be a part of. And, you know, and then, there's, you know, on film stuff and I, I now yep. and because of the because of the success from VO and from Red Dead, you know, I can I can afford to go back to theater now, too, you know, which we might. That's some stuff. A few of things, those on the cards as well for the future. And we'll see what happens. It'd be nice to do Shakespeare again. Mm. OK, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. I'm sure you get some. uh Red Dead fans coming out to see. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe they they might be heckling you though. <laughs> no, but like all the like all the people went to see Benedict Cumberbatch when he was doing Hamlet. They had to tell. They yeah. had to. I think they had to get them to check in their phones. It got so bad. Um, tell the the Marvel boys to to stay home. Yeah. So yeah, no, I just yeah. uh, you know I I just I welcome all future challenges. You know I just love to work and uh, 
And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, in the, I wouldn't say I'm in the position where I'm turning down contracts by any means. You know, it's mm -hmm. funny the way the industry is changing and evolving with streaming and Netflix and Amazon now. There's more work than there's ever been uh, mm -hmm. in many ways, but in, you know, hardly any of it pays like it used to. You know, not that I'm complaining or anything, but that's just the nature of the way that the industry has changed. You know, uh, more work is available, but uh, none of it pays the way it used to. So, you know, we're, we're very lucky in some ways and in other ways we're not you just have to adapt you just have to adapt with it and change and and you know just keep rolling with the punches and uh thankfully i, yeah. I wouldn't want to do it i wouldn't want to have it any other way yeah that's surprising because i feel like that there's more money being generated from the these industries than there has been before i, I know obviously video games and film like it feels like they make mo much more money than they used to, but maybe things like streaming, where <laughs> we don't know, Netflix doesn't reveal how many people have watched different shows and how much money they make and that kind of thing. So that might be a different kettle of fish. They do reveal it, but they don't. You know, you you, you just got to take their word for it. You know, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny with gaming in particular. I mean, the actor's performance in a video game is is a much smaller piece of the pie than it is on a film or a TV show. You know, you got you got to have massive mm -hmm. massive respect and props out to the, all the animators and engineers and etc. I mean, there there was it was literally a village, a, a very large village that it took to make Red Dead Two. I think it was the first game from the studio that ha it was all hands on deck. You know, and that and you know right. because before then. New York would work on one thing and, you know, San Diego would be working on another. Red Dead 2, everyone, everyone was on it. So that's literally thousands. So uh, when you have a workforce that large, I mean, that's gonna that's larger than your typical film crew, that's for sure. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a whole different beast. Also, you know, the, also the fact that, I don't know about you, but I rarely buy a video game because of who's in it. I mean, if Troy Baker's in it or Nolan North, yeah. that's definitely a plus, and it's I probably will buy it because of that. But what I'm really looking for, what my priority is, is what are the reviews like? What's the gameplay like? What's the studio that came out with it? Have I enjoyed anything yeah. that they've done before? So, in many ways, you know, the actor's contribution is is not is smaller. Um, also, the fact that you know it's, it's performance capture, so. Our image is not, or at least they have the option not to use our image. You know, they can tweak it a little mm. bit. So, I mean, that yeah. that obviously has a huge factor in uh, in the nature of it too. You're right. Like, there's a very, very small amount of people who even know who these voice actors are, let alone buy a game because of them. And their names aren't on the cover. No, you know, no. Like, no. like if if you if you go to buy a DVD. If you go and buy Ace Ventura, it says Jim Carrey, yeah. Ace Ventura, yeah. you know. It doesn't say Red Dead Redemption 2, Roger Clark, no. because it it's not a selling point for the industry and it's funny. as a whole, I guess. And that's even starting to change with the with film, too, you know. Like, I think the MCU has done a lot to, you know, we I don't think the film goers, uh, uh, you know, this whole star culture of the 20th century is is kind of fading away. You know, I keep reading articles about, you know the death of the of the Hollywood star. You know, because uh, you know the filmgoers are now being attracted to franchises more than the than mm. the people who are in them. You know, like the MCU is. You know, in a few years from now, we're going to see a different Captain America. We're going to see a different Thor. You know, I, I at least I think we will probably. Yeah. Depend. It depends how how long they're successful, but it's only a matter of time, really. And. You know, it's the characters that the that film audiences loved now almost as much as the actors who portray them themselves. And you know, gaming is no different than that. And we we're starting to see film. We we're starting to see more and more crossovers too, with film stars appearing in video games as themselves, and that's exciting too. Mm -hmm. And it's helping raise awareness about the the you know all the other performers in 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 video games too. So you know, it's all it's a very exciting time. Very exciting time. Yeah. We got Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk yeah. to look forward to. Yeah, so. and Mads Mikkelsen and, and, and Norman Reedus killed it in Death Stranding. I thought they were both excellent. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, lots of stuff. Like Kevin Spacey a few years ago and, and Willem Dafoe. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's it's definitely not going anywhere. Mm. Well, even if you go back to uh, San Andreas, Samuel Jackson was in that game. Yeah, yeah. And Burt Reynolds and uh, Ray Liotta, obviously, Vice City, yeah. 
All right. So there's a few questions I ask everybody on this podcast, Roger. I've had a lot of voice actors and uh, different people from different spheres of creative industries. And I'm, I want to know from your perspective, what's been the hardest part for you to get to where you are now? Uh, just uh, finding the tenacity to stick to it. You know, fi- mm. not giving up. Uh, there were, you know, there was many times I thought, you know, this. I, I struggled financially. I didn't know I was going to make it. I, I didn't have any confidence in myself or my ability. And you know, you, you just have to be stubborn, and you just have to remind yourself that it's nothing to do with you. You know, it's not the smartest industry to get into because it's so fickle. You know, and uh, mm. and talent really is a, a very small part to do with it. You know, it's a very, very, it's only a fraction of, of it all, really. It's its more tenacity and luck and and just, uh, you got to just don't, don't give up. If you throw enough shit at the wall, something will eventually stick. Uh, so you have to really approach it from that mindset and you have to love it. So I would say the hardest thing for me was sticking to it in those darkest of times mm. when, you know, I'm six, seven months without a job, you know, and I just was like, what am I doing, you know? What was it that made you stick through? Was it the belief that there was something better for you or is there someone in your life that encouraged you to do that? Honestly, I didn't know what else I would do. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and there, there, there certainly wasn't anything else that I loved as much or was as passionate as, as enough about as much. So I, I basically had I had to come to a decision earlier on say, and say to myself, you know, are you willing, are you ready to accept poverty? Because that is... Mm. That is the worst case scenario, and it's a very likely scenario, and you have to accept that. Do you love it enough to to accept that? And the answer was yes. So, hmm. and I'm interested what your advice would be to others who want to essentially do what you've done. Is it essentially is it to to do what you've just said and, and not give up and to push through, or is there times where people need to assess what's best for them. Yeah, I mean, you always have to assess what's best for you. Um, I mean, tenacity is a very important trait in a successful actor. So stubbornness, um, you know, and uh, you also have to have a very tough skin, which is mm-hmm. which is kind of difficult because, you know, no actor has a tough skin. They're, they're by na- nature very empathic people, you know, and they... They like to explore emotions, so to tell them that, that they have to not take things personally and to, you know, have this very nonchalant attitude about when you don't book a role that, that you really wanted. You know, it's kind of it's kind of the opposite of their nature, but you have to be that way regardless. You have to and then another thing too is you have to learn to start approaching it as an actual profession. You know, so many artists don't approach their craft as a as a job and and, I, and the day that I started to learn that it, it is a job and that you have to give the director and the producer what they are looking for uh, mm. in a way that you find artistically fulfilling and truthful. I mean, that you have to be able to to juggle those those two very equally important things, you know. So I, that would be the advice I'd give up. You know, people's thinking at it now is, you know, be, be be professional, be stubborn, be tough, um, be passionate, and uh, and be honest with yourself too. Like like when you say when you do reach moments of of uh, you know, is this really for me? Am I ever going to be able to make a living out of this? You know, you have to be honest with yourself too and see well, what is it that you actually want out of a career and what is it that you want out of life. Mm. All right, and my last question, if I don't think of any others before the end of this is if you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail what would you do oh wow that's a good question uh maybe i'd go climb mount everest i know that's probably a boring answer Mm. but i was just saying to you but i think before we started recording i'm really getting into life below zero on national geographic that show is awesome (laughs) if i knew i wouldn't freeze to death i would definitely go up and live in alaska like build a log cabin by myself for like one winter you know, yeah. but but knowing that I wouldn't freeze to death is you know a luxury most people who do that do not have. <laughs> those mm-hmm. those guys are insane. Oh my gosh, I love it though. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I haven't seen this show. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, they're all up in Alaska and they're they're just subsistence living and hunting and building things. It's nuts. 
What about? I always think about the film crew on these things. Are they like? Have they got a little cabin to the side with a heater? Yeah, or something. I'm sure they do. From what I gather, I think it's only one or two. at the most, it's probably two cameramen. But yeah, those yeah. those moments of solitary or the, the moments that they're trying to bring across this big solitary feeling. I'm always reminded of the fact that you know someone's holding that camera. He's gonna be fine. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I always feel like that way with yeah. Bear Grylls too. <clears throat> yes, I was just gonna say like. Bear Grylls is amazing, but I kind of just want to see a documentary about the people who film what he's doing as he's ascending these cliffs and diving into waterfalls yeah. and there's a lot of everything. It's just like a lot of people want to say, "Oh, I would love to see it with it was just them just holding a camera." But you know what? You really wouldn't want to see that because the camera angles would no. always be naff, and it wouldn't just be it wouldn't be good viewing. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be, you no. wouldn't get these majestic views. You wouldn't get these really cool shots. So as much as you'd mm. say, even, you know, as much as you say, even you, like you'd want that. I don't think you do. You but yeah, yeah, someone should do a film crew about a film crew. But there's yeah, been a lot I of. I would watch it. I would watch it. There's been a loads of documentary spoofs like that, just like that, aren't there? Especially with Animal Planet, like some of these things that they capture. You know, you you watch it and you think you must have been filming this animal for a year yeah. to get that. Yeah, like snow nonstop, like, and you like might getting a snow leopard. I mean that that yeah, made, or, like it's insane. It's insane. Or even like a bug and you've like captured the whole life of this bug or like a particular like I'm guessing if you watch one bug it's not necessarily going to be interesting the whole time but they no. you know they catch these like mating dances and they get they get the moment that this happens and it's I just think like to see that happen did you have a thousand cameras working at once did you follow one creature for literally months i'm fascinated by how it comes together you know those bbc ones like the blue planet and and mm-hmm, planet yeah. planet earth and all they usually have little bits and bobs after at the end of those episodes where the film the the cinematographers talk about how they got the shot and whatnot and you, you hear about them I gotta find that oh yeah you hear about them like they're, they're like like you say man six months trying to get a polar bear you know getting a kill you know and the, mm. meanwhile they're you know hidden this little snow dome you know, with like three square feet, just you mm. know, trying to and be become invisible. They're probably half a mile away from it with like a camera that can't move. Yeah, and all this deep, <laughs> the deep sea stuff too. That's pretty fascinating. You know. Yeah, it's all it's all crazy. All that water pressure, and they have to come up with different, you know, the spe- specific cameras and lenses that won't crack under it, and the the footage they get. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's an impressive there field. You go. I just thought of a way we can wrap this up. Uh, what was your opinion of the ending of Red Dead Redemption 2? You mentioned you didn't know what was going to happen, so it was completely new to you, but how do you feel like that story wrapped up? Oh, well, I, I, I mean, it does, it, I thought it was great the way they bridged it, you know, and linked it. You know, the montage at the end was, was genius. Um, you know, I, and you really, you see why Dutch becomes what he, what he becomes. And, um, you know, lots of people talk about it, and I, I mean... It's just, it was really well done, I felt. You see Dutch mm. become the Dutch that he is in Red Dead Redemption 1, and you see John becoming the John that he is in Red Dead Redemption 1. And A lot of people wonder, you know, why did Dutch just walk away? You know, why did Dutch let John live? And I think the reason why he let him live is because he knew that was Arthur's dying wish, and he just, he knew that he made it, he knew he kind of screwed Arthur. He had a couple of years retrospect to kind of think and ponder about it, and I think he let John Marston live is because he knew that Arthur gave his life to make sure that that had happened, and out of respect for the 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 kind of you know the son that he never had, yeah. out of respect for what they you know what they had, and and to act kind of as an apology for abandoning it, he uh, he did what little he could, which was to let John Marston live. Mm. Well. Thanks for giving me your My time, pleasure, Roger. Yeah. It's been awesome. Obviously, I'm a big fan of the game and of your performance, and uh, I'm sure that uh, going ahead, I'll be keeping a close eye on uh, on what comes up on your IMDb page. Thanks, Jono. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Roger Clark on Twitter at rclark98. If you want to support this show, you can leave a tasty review at Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere else that lets you best way to support me and my podcasting friends is to pledge to the 8-bit patreon that's patreon.com slash we are 8-bit a-t-e-b-i-t you 
can catch me on social medias at Johnny himself. And until next episode, keep putting in work and keep washing those hands. <laughs>